0: I gotta stop texting.
1: Just a second.
0: Are you recording? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, guys. I just gotta finish texting. <laughs> he's
1: gonna. He's
0: gonna. scratching her okay. face. <laughs> I'm Kendra.
1: This is Ashley.
0: <laughs> and and welcome to Art Gab.
1: Yeah. I do
0: know Okay. Um. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I have one announcement. You have one announcement, and then we're gonna jump into our uh, Christo hour, Christo and Jean Claude hour.
1: Yeah, we're doing things a little different this time around. So my
0: announcement is that it's Willie Nelson's um, birth
1: week. I thought that was gonna
0: be my announcement. No, yours is J T T.
1: Oh. Yeah. Okay. No, no,
0: not Jonathan Taylor Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> Just in Same terror. idea. Yeah, okay, so so yeah, Willie Nelson's birthday week. So happy birthday, Willie. We love you. We yes. love you. Oh.
1: We love you. And it's braids. And your
0: beautiful braids. Glorious. So what's your announcement, Ashley?
1: It's gonna be May. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. It's not really an announcement, but it will be May. And, uh, happy May Day. Happy May Day. Happy May Day. There's a meme of Justin Timberlake's face, and it's hilarious. And it's making a joke <laughs> I just about. Just
0: talking about it for like 10 minutes. <laughs>
1: it's a joke about the song. It's gonna be me, but he says me like May, and so there's a meme made about it, and it's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> Take
0: something funny and just destroy it. <laughs> it's just so stupid, <laughs>
1: but hilarious at the same time. So you should check it out. That's my yeah. announcement.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Ashley. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so to, let's do this. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So, uh uh we this week we are both talking about Christo and Jean-Claude because they're awesome.
1: Yeah, you're going to kind of do the background of them and talk about them and I'll pipe in here and there and then I'll kind of give two big uh, I'll just talk about two of their projects that I liked. Yeah Can I go from there? Cool Sounds cool. good Sounds good
0: Christo and Jean-Claude were both born on June 13th, 1935 He was born into an industrialist family in Bulgaria She was born into a military family stationed in Morocco um, And if you look at pictures of them when they were, when they first met in their 20s They're both really cute um, uh, Total hipsters, actually um, This picture Super cute um, Christo's mom noticed his talent and enrolled him in drawing classes early. Um, In 1956 Christo left Bulgaria um, stayed for a year in Czech Republic and Austria then Paris, France in 1958. Um, Jean-Claude lived with her family in Tunisia then moved to Paris in 1957. They met in October 1958 when Christo was commissioned to paint Jean-Claude's mother. Um, he, he was initially attracted to her sister, Joyce. Jean-Claude was initially engaged to another man. Um, and then, lo and behold, um, she became pregnant with Christo's child, married the other man, and then left after the honeymoon. So, they kind of had a wild beginning to their relationship. Um, and their son, uh, Cyril, was born on, in 1960. Um same year as mom
1: oh yeah you could say that <laughs> sorry mom if you didn't want to say that but <laughs> she doesn't listen to us anyway <laughs> um so i uh, know she starts she said she's gonna start listening
0: oh i know great great <laughs> more reason to be self-conscious um so yeah. so okay so christo like he went to school um for art when he was really young right he learned how to draw he was around architects round sculptors and and round painters and he just he didn't really know what he wanted to do um he kind of liked everything that was that was a problem he liked everything
1: should we mention um in his early life it does mention somewhere that his dad worked in fabrics so that Mm -hmm. will kind of play into his stuff later
0: yeah um it's kind of cool how that keeps happening right
1: yeah so as we keep talking you'll kind of see that maybe his early influence of his Dad's profession in fabrics kind of played a role in him and his art later on.
0: Yeah, um, it's kind of like that artist that you shared in the last episode, the uh, uh, Louise Nevilleson, right? And her her dad was a carpenter, right?
1: Um, he worked in like scraps and like oh, what well, uh, scrapyard of- or something like that. But yeah, I think that's a trend we'll see a lot of when we talk about artists is that their parents might have had a real key role in, like, the, the material that they used from a young age. Like, maybe their parents were uh, worked in it or something, but... Yeah, it's actually... kind of like
0: you, like, making, the... making wigs, right? Yeah. Because we grew up around wigs.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of see that, I think.
0: But yeah, so... Uh, so he didn't really, like, he wasn't really sure what to do, and then I think, you know, being around Jean-Claude, their love for one another, I think, was inspiring, and he just um he started wrapping these objects. Um and, and it was really quickly that they started to collaborate and she was a big part of his process. The early work, um, they wrapped daily objects like books or shoes, trolleys, and paper or fabric and then prop them in familiar surroundings to create to create an effect of estrangement, confusion, and defamiliarization. Um so one of the pieces that I like a lot is the motorcycle <laughs> that he wrapped. It's just, it's really cool. Like mm-hmm. in an interview I heard with him, he was saying that he, he likes to wrap things because it, it hides the details and it highlights the overall shape. Kind of like that, right? It's like cutting to the chase. Like we don't want, we don't want all this foofy stuff. We just want to get down to the essence of the beauty of these bigger things, right? Right. Do you smell that? Yeah. Someone's barbecuing outside. It smells like daughter.
1: summer. Oh, it's
0: so, so great. That. Yeah. So their first collaboration was in the Cologne Harbor, 1961. Um, Jean-Claude and Christos stacked oil barrels and and uh, dockside packages, I guess. Um, it was also their first temporary outdoor environmental artwork. Um, and then in 1961, or 62, 60, okay, so 61 and 62, that took them time to kind of put this piece into motion. Um, they, uh, they closed off a narrow street in Paris with a wall of 89 oil barrels. The Art Barricade was a protest against the Berlin Wall, which is, was built in, um, August of 1961. So there is a political aspect, I mean, yeah, we all, I mean, part of the reason we chose them is because there's just aesthetically really beautiful, the wrapping of things, right? Um, and these, these beautiful installation or environmental works of art, but but they're also political um, commentary too, right? I mean, they're protesting the Berlin Wall.
1: Yeah, I mean, in a lot of interviews, they have both said, like, it's there's n- not any deeper meaning behind their art. It's just art for art's sake. But at the same time, like, the places they pick and the, the things they choose to cover does have some political backing behind it, whether they meant yeah. to or not, it's yeah. still there yeah. in the eye of the beholder, even though they would probably not ever admit to having any kind of thing behind it.
0: Yeah, and I got that off their website. So they yeah. know that they're being political, they know that they're protesting. Yeah. Um,
1: they just, know they are, but then they'll say that's, that they're that's just art. They're artists just, just, first, yeah, yeah. They're,
0: not, they're not politicians. If they really wanted to make a political statement, maybe they would become part politicians, right? Right. So aesthetics and the visual language first.
1: Sweet. So we should say Christopher does a lot for us, and but we should say who yeah. he is first, like if he wants to introduce himself. Yeah. I'm Christopher. The man behind the curtain. <laughs>
2: the, the plumber hooks the, the wires <laughs> together.
1: Gets the poop. <laughs>
0: It enters the drains. Oh, man. There goes our one <laughs> listener. <laughs> nope. Done. I hate plumbers. <laughs> Christopher's in charge of all the sound. So so if you don't like the sound, you can blame him. Um, And email us at... Artgab at stumptomcreative.com <gasps> Dot com. I gotta make a point here. That although Jean-Claude and Christo worked as creative equals on all their projects, only Christo's name appeared on the finished products this was a conscious decision on both jean-claude Christo's part because of the prejudices against female artists in the art world. jean-claude said
1: do you want to do you have a jean-claude voice i don't know <laughs> I, have, I don't even know what i was trying to do there but <laughs> it's
0: like a gremlin okay <gasps> so she said the decision to use only the name Christo was made deliberately when we were young because it was difficult for one artist to be established and we wanted to put all the chances on our side. So therefore, uh, Jean-Claude took on the role as Christo's manager in order to advance their success. The pair did not reveal Jean-Claude as the second half of the creative process until 1994. So this is kind of smart. I. Was it you, Ashley, who was telling me that they also flew separately? Because if one of them
1: got in a plane crash, (laughs) the
0: other person would be able to fulfill their projects? No, I don't
1: know. Did you say that to me? Maybe you dreamt it. Maybe I
0: dreamt it. No, oh, did... I think that they're really, like, practical people, right? So they... Yeah. Even though it was kind of, like... Well,
1: I read another thing, too. Like, they just wanted one name on it, too, because they were trying to just... They didn't want to confuse people. Easier
0: to remember one name.
1: Yeah. Well, and then... This is a sidebar note, but she, there's like something written about her. um, If he was a dentist, I would be a dentist kind of thing. So she just kind of really wanted to be where he was at and do what he wanted to do. Yeah, They were a team for sure. Yeah. Side note.
0: Yeah. A lot of this information is coming off of their website, by the way. I think it's, what is it, Chrisuandjeanclaude.com?
1: Which, yeah, it's a beautiful website.
0: Yeah, it's a really great website.
1: If you, you could pretty much see all their work, all their works in progress, all their, like, drawings, all things.
0: So they didn't take any outside funding for these large projects that they started doing. Um, They all, they raised all their money through sale of preparatory drawings, collages, memorabilia, books, and small wrapped projects, right? So um, I just thought, I think that's a kind of nice thing to point out. We'll probably mention it again in a minute, but...
1: And they well. never did commission work, ever. He was really against that. Yeah. Kind of. He's like, I will never do commission work because it's just, it changes things and it's not me and I wouldn't feel like it was me.
0: Yeah, the goal kind of changes, right? Yeah. Um, but I, I, I saw this documentary um, called How to Draw a Bunny. And it's about artist Ray Johnson. Um, have you heard of him?
1: It sounds familiar, but... No?
0: <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Um, so uh, he was a... Christopher, you could chime in if you want. He was an artist. His 50s and 60s, 70s, 80s. He's kind of a, one of those guys that knew everybody. Um, but he, he was kind of known for his mail art projects. And so he would mail artwork to people and then oh, ask yeah. for mail art back. And so he um, he's kind of a trickster. He's the guy that... Um, uh, a collector asked him for a piece of artwork and was like, "Hey, can can um, I get a can I get a discount? Can I get twenty five percent discount?" And Ray Johnson was like, "Yeah, sure." And he he cut out a quarter of the piece and then sent him three quarters <laughs> of the drawing. Nice. It's kind of awesome. Um, kind of. So he's a trickster and he's like, "Okay, so this Christo, I really like his work." So he wrote a letter to Christo and said, "Hey, can I have one of your wrapped pieces?" And Christo sent him a box back, wrapped in pa- brown paper, and uh, apparently uh, Ray Johnson opened up the box, and inside there was a letter from Cristo saying, "Sure, Ray, I'd love to trade with you, or I'd love to sell you a piece, um, but you just destroyed the piece. Here's a photo as a, memor- a memorabilia of the piece." So he's kind of funny, right? Like,
1: yeah,
0: he clearly had like a sense of humor, and interested in the art world, interested in like pushing the boundaries. I mean, the first piece that they did, that, that barrel piece in the street, they didn't get permission. Mm -hmm. They just did it. And, and Jean-Claude was the one that talked to the police. She was like, can we just have this for a few hours? She was like, apparently very charismatic, very easy to talk to kind of person. Whereas I, I get this feeling from interviews that I've seen with Christo that he's kind of fiery and like, Passionate, but not necessarily the most easy person to work with, you know? Mm-hmm. She was the person that kind of...
1: They were a good team. They were sure. a good team. Yeah. yeah.
0: The piece that I, I... I was just going to talk about a few pieces, but... Um, Can I just jump in before yeah. you go to that?
2: I, th- I thought it's interesting what you said about the, um, how they funded these projects, because it's kind of like not a... Not the typical art world way... To fund something, it's like you go and you, you find somebody who's, who's going to back you. Instead, they funded it through their artwork, through, like, prints, you know. Before GoFundMes and those type of ways, you know, people do things today.
0: Yeah.
2: They were doing, like, these alternative, like, you know, fundraising efforts to do these massive projects.
1: And they weren't cheap either like cheap projects like they had to raise a lot of money millions and millions yeah yeah cause I mean yeah they almost paved the way for GoFundMe type things in a way
0: yeah and I think that interview I saw with Christo he said something to the extent of I had learned early on that I wouldn't get the support for my my artwork from the art world and so you know he's like screw you guys I'm gonna pay for it myself because I know it's important to do and
1: he found a way to do it Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: yep <laughs> um, uh-huh. yeah. so um, I counted on their website like at least 33 large scale projects almost architect- architectural in scale right um, and so I just picked out a few that I wanted to kind of talk about because they had different interesting aspects um, but I think mine Mine are later. Do you want to talk about the ones that you want to talk about so it stays kind of chronological?
1: Yeah, so I have two that I wanted to talk about. One is, like, older, but then one is really present. So I could I could always say mine, yeah, you could back, go yeah. to yours, and then I could come back to mine or something. We should end on
0: yours, the the new one, because it's really sweet.
1: Yeah, okay. So, uh, the one I was going to talk about is called the Valley Curtain. Um, It was on August 10th, 1972 in Colorado between Grand Junction and Glenwood Springs in the Grand Hogback Mountain Range. At 11 a.m., a group of 35 construction workers and 64 temporary helpers, art school and college students, and itinerant, I don't know that word. <laughs> <laughs> show show me. I should, I'm gonna feel like a dork once, okay. Um, Art workers tied down the last of 27 ropes that secured the two hundred thousand two hundred square feet um, of woven nylon fabric orange curtain. Oh, to- is this the one that was like
0: in a valley? Mm-hmm. Really orange, like look, almost look like a sail of a ship? Yeah,
1: so it's a curtain tied between two, like it's a, in a valley. Um, kind of like a big
0: gate, like a big... That, yeah right
1: so it was suspended at a width of 1250 feet um and a height curving from 365 feet wait how long height. was
0: it 1000 what
1: 1250 feet was the width and the height was uh 365 feet um at each end to 182 feet at the center so the curtain remained clear of the slopes and the valley bottom. A ten-foot skirt attached to the lower part of the curtain visibly completed the area between the thimbles and the ground. Between uh, the mean? thimbles? Is that the word? <laughs> thimbles? Look at that word looks all around. Okay, so I'm not crazy. It does yeah. say that, right? So okay. The thimbles on their thumbs. <laughs> and then, so I'm thinking 1,000 feet, that's
0: like two Portland blocks, right?
1: 1,250 feet. So like, If you go yeah. on to their website, you'll see the picture of it. It's really worth looking at because it's just, there's kind of like a road mm-hmm. beneath it. And it's just like a big curtain. What color is it? It's orange. Um, Wait, we talked about this, Christopher. Oh, bored. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Christopher. No, um, no, sorry, because I'm kind of reading some of the stuff. Off. Christopher off. wants
0: more specifics. What kind of orange is it, Ashley? Is it like
1: I would say it's like a it's like a construction sign orange. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: So not like a persimmon orange.
1: Construction sign. I'm sticking to it. But okay, blah blah blah. Okay, because the curtain was suspended. Blah blah blah. That's <laughs> all.
0: this was the
1: 1970s? Uh, 72, I believe. I was trying to look through my notes, but um, it was up for... So it took 28 months to complete. So a gale wind estimated at 60 miles per hour made it necessary for the start of the removal of it. So um, that was on August 11th, 28 hours after completion of it. The gale uh, force winds of about 60 miles per hour is what started the removal of it. So as, so, okay, you could see from this, like, nature definitely plays a role in how they're going to withstand the elements. So it was beautiful, but, like, the wind through that valley at 60 miles an hour is not going to really hold up. So his pieces, this just is typical of his pieces, they're very temporarily up and they're not put up again. Right. And that makes them even more unique and beautiful to go see because, it's like, if you were around in 1972 and you got a chance to drive through and see it, it was awesome, but, like, only a couple hours or so later, it's going it, to, you know, the removal process is going to come down in no time because the elements. Mm-hmm. So, um, Yeah.
0: So surreal that it probably lingers in your memory, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you were to see it, you would be it would it would be a part of your experience. Yeah,
1: you know? and like I haven't seen any of his pieces in in uh, person, but the really cool thing is like the pictures are amazing. So I can only imagine in person how awesome they'd be because I mean a picture doesn't do something in as much justice as seeing it in person. So that's a lot of the reason I like their work, in the temporary um the temporary of their yeah. work
0: well and in in addition to that it takes forever to plan these things right because they have to go through all the bureaucracy of of working with governments and working with um cities um to get the their right permits and to get the right so that, so work on these for 10 years and then only get it have it on view for two weeks, right? It's, right? it's kind of beautiful, it's poetic. It's
1: Well, and for that particular project, there was 35 construction workers and 64 temporary helpers, and then, you know, art school students. So there's so many people working on it too. Mm-hmm. So it's not just one artist, it's like all these people building it. Mm-hmm. So that's the valley curtain, that's one piece.
0: So the piece, uh, one of the pieces I want to talk about, is just the one that I learned about in, in undergrad, <laughs> in my art history class, um, it's the Biscayne Bay Greater Miami Florida piece um, from 1983. Um, you can hear Prancer in the background look like, her paws. She's
1: I know, so I'm cute. trying to get her to stop, but she's...
0: <laughs> she's adorable. Um, in 1983, 11 of the islands situated uh, in this bay right off of, um, right near Miami, were surrounded um, with 6.5 million, million square feet of floating pink woven polypropylene fabric covering the surface of the water and extending out from each island into the bay. So if you see the pictures of it, it's this like beautiful teal, you guys see this black and white photo that I'm showing you? You can imagine if the water is like the teal, beautiful teal blue, uh, and then the the ring around these islands is like bubblegum pink. It's spectacular. I mean, when you see the view, or you see the photos, you're like, what is this? It's ridiculous. And then you realize that those are boats in the water, so the scale is just... It's just massive and mm-hmm. um, powerful and ridiculous, right? Art's ridiculous. These are ridiculous.
1: Yeah, they're not like practical. Right. And the color is not really found in nature, like that bright color. I mean, it is found in nature, but like in the water, you're not going to naturally see something like that. Oh. Do you remember learning about that one in
0: undergrad? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was
2: like, I feel like I saw a video or something. Maybe they did a, a documentary
1: or something. Oh, possibly. I don't know. Like the making of it or something. Yeah, I saw some flyovers
2: of
0: it. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty. And I think something about those islands, too. I, I... Okay, you guys, if anybody out there is listening to our podcast and they want to tell us more about this, then you guys should email us because I think that there's something to do with those islands, too. Like,
1: or if anyone's seen it in person, it would be really cool. Yeah,
0: that'd be really cool.
1: Um, the other piece I I, I want to talk about or
0: one of the other pieces was the um, umbrella piece. Um, so in 1991, um, uh, there was this project called the Umbrellas Joint Project for Japan and USA. It was conceptualized in 1984, but not carried out until 1991. It's composed of hundreds of six foot tall, approximately 500 pound umbrellas installed on the coasts of California and Japan. Um, it, it was described as a peaceful work about interconnection. Um, so, so you can imagine, okay, so if you think about the, the mountain range along the California border or along the coast, right? Um, green, tan with bright orange umbrellas, giant bright orange umbrellas. And then Japan, kind of similar, um, landscape, very green with blue, Bright blue umbrellas.
1: Was that the first piece he did, like with two different ta- time, yeah, time zones? Yeah,
0: I think so. And it, yeah, it's kind of about the international environmental um, connection between those two coasts, right? Cause mm-hmm. they, they kind of share the Pacific in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, at least here in Portland, I feel like um, Japan has influenced our culture, right? Um, more than other parts of the world. Anyway, so, yeah, I think that it might be the, it might be the only one where he did kind of a split, um, two different countries. It's kind of sad, though, because this was the one that, um, that killed someone.
1: It kind of just, okay, so it, it did kill someone, and that just goes to play in the fact that the environment in nature, you can't always control it, like, yeah. it you put something in nature, a piece of artwork and you do the best you can to construct it and keep it sound. But Mm -hmm. you can't account for what mother nature could do. And
0: yeah, this report said that due to a failure of the joint holding an umbrella in place, um, one of the umbrellas fell and crushed someone. Um, so that's really sad and you're right. Yeah. You can't, there's so much, only so much you could kind of prepare for. And I think, I think it was Jean-Claude that said that each project is a whole new learning experience.
1: Yeah. Well, like the curtain, like I was saying, like the wind helped take it down. Mm -hmm. So it's like they probably didn't really account for when that was going to happen. You know what I mean? Like you can't really account for these things. You know that they could happen, but you can't really be specific about it, I guess.
0: Yeah. It is kind of sad. I mean, it's extra sad, right? Like it's extra sad that someone passed away, but also that... They did actually have the the piece that you talked about was in California, and they had to take it down because of wind and then twenty years later the wind oh, is what takes this umbrella down
1: the Do curtain- you know mean? well, the curtain was in Colorado, oh, but regardless, it's, it's in so- a valley yeah. of hills and yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah and and they're working with a lot of different people that yeah they have to they have to collaborate with and they can't consider i mean it's it's just a accident, you know. Tragic accident. Um, So after the tragedy, Christo called for the installation to be dismantled. Um, But then during the dismantling process in Japan, a worker was killed by electrocution when the arm of the crane that he was operating struck a high-voltage power line. So so it's kind of sad. On that note...
1: (laughs) I think... So one of the pieces that would be good to talk about is... um, The gates? Oh yeah, you're going to talk about, so there's a, then there's a project I think Christopher knows about. you want to talk about that
2: Christopher
0: first? Because it's chronological and I think it's... Gets... I've
2: done zero research on my piece.
1: Okay. I I, I just say well, it, You, you know, kind of like, know the gist if, of it. If you
2: know
0: more about it. Well, how about I start and then yeah, you, you correct me when I say something wrong. <laughs>
2: um,
0: so I don't even write anything down. I'll be your down. studio audience. Yeah. Um, I feel like we left off from the umbrellas thing in a really bad place. I just, I don't want to make everyone sad, but it, it is well,
1: like, a, I mean, he took it down right away Yeah, and it's like, and it's found. just one of those accidents, you yeah. know? Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. So the Reichstag building, right? In Berlin. So this Nazi building. Thank you. See, then no, <laughs> the Nazis built it, right? Or used the building
2: think so. I think it was like a, like a famous, like,
0: you know, political building for them, and... It's a parliament building, right? Yeah. And then the Nazis it. used it, so there's all these associations with this building. It was it a was loaded, loaded building.
1: I think you said it was, this installation was put up around the time when the wall was still up, too. Yeah,
2: yeah. So there's east and west Germany, and, um, you know, after World War Two, of course, you know, the United Nations or whatever they, they everybody had their piece of control, and this building in particular, I think, had just a lot of governments that had their say into what would go on there. And remember, um, this is just like off the back of my head, but like somebody saying it was one of their most difficult projects because they had to get all of these different government agencies to agree on something that they never agree on anything and they had to agree to wrap this building. And mm-hmm. and they ended up doing it. So
0: and because and it's like monumental. Right. And it's just a I love that story because it, it goes to show that maybe that sometimes art is more powerful than than other types of conversation, right? Like art can bring people together when they disagree on everything else.
1: Yeah, like this group of people that couldn't really agree on much. Okay, they agreed on this, and it was, yeah. And hopefully it led to other
0: things Yeah. that they could agree on, right?
1: Yeah. So that's a piece. <laughs> it's really, it's an interesting piece that you can see on their website again. It's just like, a. it almost looks like one piece of fabric just covered this whole building. It's really unique. I don't know. It's interesting to look at. Um, Off the top of my head, I don't know a ton about it, but I think that says a lot just politically um, that they were able to agree on it during a time of, like, not a lot of agreement. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: And not not to downplay the beauty of it and, you know, that they they planned out all of the drapery and and how it fit around the building. And, and you know, all their pieces are really beautiful and aesthetic. Um, but there's also this, like you guys were saying before, I think, this heavy political tie in as well.
0: hmm Do you want to talk about the
1: gates, Ashley? The gates I definitely think you should talk about, and then I'll end it on the, um, the other project. But you kind of have, like, a personal story behind the gates, right? Okay, yeah. So, yeah, you should definitely talk about
0: Oh! In 2005... Work began on the installation of the couple's most protracted project, The Gates, in Central Park in New York City. The title is The Gates, Central Park, New York City, 1979 to 2005, in reference to the time that passed from their initial proposal until they were able to go ahead with it, Um, only with the permission of the New York mayor, um, Michael Bloomberg. Um, After the project was completed, Bloomberg released the following statement about the Gates. Basically, it was one of the most exciting public art projects ever put on anywhere in the world. And it would never have been it would have, it would never happened without Jean Claude. <laughs> so, he liked Jean Claude, I think. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so the gates. Okay, so the gates was open to the public from the 12th of February to the 27th, 2005. Um, a total of 7,503 gates made of saffron-colored fabric were placed on paths in Central Park. Um, they were 5 meters high, so like 15 feet tall. Um, it had a combined length of 37 me- kilometers. Quick, actually, 37 kilometers. What is it? I
1: have no idea. What does your miles? little paper say? <laughs> it's 26 miles.
0: Um, Bloomberg, a fan of... Jean-Claude, no. A fan of Christo <laughs> and Jean-Claude presented them with the Doris C. Friedman Award for Public Art.
1: Jean-Claude sweet-talked him. Yeah, that's true. <laughs>
0: um, so they, he even gave them an award for this piece. They loved... So Jean-Claude and Christo often expressed satisfaction that their concept for, the ho- uh, for their hometown of over 30 years was finally realized. I'm clearly reading this. But basically, these beautiful kind of flags uh, kind of flew above these gates throughout the Central Park and kind of from an aerial view and a lot of the photos you see it they look kind of like uh, serpents kind of going through the park. It cost them 21 million dollars which was raised entirely by Christo and Jean-Claude selling studies, drawings, collages, and works in the 1950s and 1960s. So like that motorcycle, right? Um, they did not accept any sponsorship, nor did the City of New York have to provide any money for the project. Christo and Jean-Claude donated all the money raised from the sale of souvenirs, such as postcards, t-shirts, and posters, to this, to this uh, environmental group called Nurture New York's Nature Incorporated. So while the engineering manufacturing and setup took over a year about 750 paid employees erected the project in five days and then deployed the fabric of all the gates in about half an hour. Around 600 more gatekeepers distributed 1 million free fabric samples to visitors. The uniformed gatekeepers provided information to visitors about the project and were responsible for unrolling the gates that had rolled over the crossbar- crossbars in the high wind. More co-workers. More co- co-workers. <laughs> <laughs> like I was there working. <laughs> so my co-workers, my more workers uninstalled the project in one week, leaving almost no trace and shipping all the materials for recycling. I think you'd ask me, like, what do they do with all the fabric? They totally recycle it and reuse it. Isn't that cool? Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a lot of people involved with this.
1: Well, I was kind of almost wondering, wondering, like, people. the curtain, the valley curtain, mm-hmm. Is almost the same color as those, as the ones in New York. So I was like, did they just reuse the fabric? Like, mm, that's what I was
0: thinking, I don't. I don't know. Yeah, but this was saffron, not orange. Huh. Totally different.
1: Totally different. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, I need to compare the two pictures. Not pumpkin. It's not pumpkin
0: orange. So
1: Construction <laughs> sign orange. <laughs> construction.
0: Totally different.
1: Totally different.
0: Actually, that's a good point, like why the color right like we were we were trying to figure that out the other day, right like w- like w- does a color symbolize something,
1: and I think that like, but he claims that they claim it doesn't mean anything,
0: yeah, but remember how we were like talking about it, like the early works they were all white or brown, like wrapped objects, and then we declared that the colors were because of the contrast and how more more beautiful was it meaning
1: you or was it?
0: Yeah, we declared it for them. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, we wrote the artist statement for them. <laughs>
1: they don't know it, but, but we decided. But against the blue on
0: the, the, the islands, what'd you say? Good job, guys. Yeah, thanks. That's what we do. Uh, we, we write history.
1: Right. Watch, we go on their website and they like change their whole artist statement.
0: It's all about the contrast. Thanks
1: to Kendra and Ashley. <laughs>
0: okay, so my personal connection. Christopher and I have been dating for about a year. Nope, Sorry dating for about two years at the time. And I can't remember why, but we went to New York. Do you remember why? I don't remember why we went to New York. But we decided to go for a visit, and we stayed with Christopher's dad, his, his childhood girlfriend, Yvonne. She had an apartment there. Um, she li- we, we slept on her couch, and she lived on, this, I think, the sixth floor of an apartment in the Upper West Side, very close to Central Park, um, the entire place Place was painted pink. Um, she was eccentric and cheerful and excited to tell us all about New York. That was the okay, that was also the first and only time I've ever eaten souffle. Remember how she made us a souffle?
2: That's really great. I don't remember
1: this at all. Dude. <laughs> Another one of Kendra's dreams. Dude, it was a souffle. It was beautiful.
0: It <laughs> Again, like a chef hat.
1: You, you dreamed it. Yeah. Dreamt it. Um, dreamt it. Anyway,
0: you guys, <laughs> we just happened to be there when the gates were up. Aww. They were only up for two weeks. And we happened to get there, and we're like, what are those awesome gates? Those are awesome.
1: Maybe that's why you went or to New York. Are you didn't go there because of them? Right? That's an I'm <laughs> Guys, I don't
0: think so. <laughs> uh, okay. All I know is I was extremely surprised when I got to Central Park and I saw those gates. So I don't think that we went there to see them. That's why. Because I was... I, maybe, I was just a, maybe I was just excited. <laughs> maybe I did go there. No, the thing that
2: I remember I most about that was that being pressured to sketch a drawing of the gates for Yvonne, she said, you guys are not leaving my apartment until you sketch.
1: That's the whole reason she let you guys stay there. Right. And she, she like <laughs> handed us,
0: handed us like a purple pencil. We're
1: like, but they're not purple.
0: you bought Yvonne. <laughs> Where's your orange colored pencils? Um, but yeah, it was. I felt pretty special to see it, and it and it was pretty amazing. Um, the color, the color, the character. It and I and I wrote here that it made me more aware of the size and character of the park, and it totally did. Right? Um, yeah,
1: that's really cool. That's like to be able to see one of his pieces because they're not up very long, and they don't happen very often. So that's pretty cool. Cool. Do you still
0: have that sketch? She's like, she has
2: it. You did, you did one. Oh yeah, and you do probably you said
0: it was. Yeah, I don't.
2: No, no, no. We both had to do one. You did did it and gave it to her, and then uh, I was procrastinating or something.
0: I don't know. It was like, <laughs> uh, um, anyway,
2: was a big deal in my twenties. Like, oh God, I can't do a sketch. <laughs> <laughs>
1: She still has it hanging up at her house. She
0: probably does. She's probably still sore that you didn't do it. Probably. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, the only other note that I have here is that uh, in an interview, he mentions that fabric is like, yeah, okay, uh, it's referencing like painting and sculpture and like he sees, Christo sees it as like a direct connection to art history, right? So like, Basically he's saying that when he wraps something in fabric, he's kind of referencing like the David or something. Don't give me that look, Christopher. <laughs> um, and the only and then the other thing I wrote was that I like I love the idea of wrapping because it's like a gift or a present, it's concealed, it's hidden. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I kinda like that. Like with We live in a world where we're not surprised very often, right? Mm -hmm. And so to be surprised by something like their work is pretty amazing. Anyway, that's all I have written down. I think you also
2: touched on that with the the Gates is that it it brings about a a character of a place maybe that you're just like, you're incredibly familiar with. I mean, we weren't incredibly familiar with it, but -hmm. New Yorkers, absolutely. That's like the, you know, lifeblood of the city kind Mm -hmm. of. You know that's that's a place that everybody knows um, and that it kind of like does something else to it, you know,
0: kind of wakes them up, shakes them out of their everyday a little bit. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah
2: I can see that. yeah and then and then taking it away it, it like does something else mm-hmm. like, I don't know.
1: That's a good point.
0: so Ashley, you have one that you wanted to talk about?
1: Well, yeah, and then going off of fabric too, like any like. Unlike any other art medium, it has a movement on its own, which is really cool. I don't know if he meant to do that, but um, the last piece that I was wanting to talk about was it's entitled "The Floating uh, Piers," and it's um, it was for sixteen days in June uh, eighteenth through July third, two thousand sixteen, in Italy on Lake is the isio um so basically it was a hundred thousand square meters of shimmering uh, yellow fabric and then it was on these um floating cubes and it was connected to I think it was like two or three islands um so people could walk on it um just reading a couple quotes from him um Like all our projects, the Floating Piers was absolutely free and open to the public. There uh, were no tickets, no openings, no reservations, and no owners. The Floating Piers were an extension of the street and belonged to everyone. And then another quote was: uh, Those who experienced the Floating Piers felt like they were walking on water or perhaps the back of a whale. The light and water transformed the bright yellow fabric to shades of red and gold throughout the 16 days. So another reason I picked this project is it was the first um, installation done without Jean Claude. She had passed away and so this was like the first one done um, after her passing. Uh, I really love it. Again, bright, bright fabric interactive you could walk on it um it must have been cool to kind of walk from island to island in this small little air uh little lake in italy and um yeah so again just his signature things bright fabric water and kind of it was a nice interaction piece that seems like
0: it, it was definitely reacting to the specific place, right? Like, you would have to know of those islands and be like, oh, I really, this is, like, just for this.
1: Yeah, it worked in with the environment, and the aerial shots are really beautiful. Tons of people walked across it in the short amount of time it was up, and, yeah.
2: Was this started when Jean-Claude was still alive? Like did they work together, kind of like the um, the gate you were saying was started in
0: took the seventy nine yeah seventy
2: nine and then two thousand five
1: yeah that's a good point um, so here it says it was first conceived um, by the couple in nineteen seventy mm-hmm. so this was not put up till two thousand fourteen and that's like typical a lot of their projects mm-hmm. they were drawn out. Sometimes they don't have a place in mind. Sometimes they do have a place in mind, and um, sometimes to get the okay from the place to get the money raised, it takes a long time. So yeah, it was. This idea was first conceived in 1970. Um, yeah. So I just I just picked that piece because it's it's really beautiful. It's really interactive, and it's one of his most recent pieces. I think there's another piece of like barrels that's more recent but yeah so
0: that seems really that's really neat with the fabric changing colors too in the different times of day it sounds like it's like um he's evolving and and they're more um i mean reacting to the environment like i like like we were talking like reacting to the environment more so than his even his earlier land-based works right so it's like they're getting even more involved and more reactive and interactive with the landscape and with the people that are enjoying it right Mm -hmm. um and i love that like the what you said about the whales
1: i know i love that that quote whale that's yeah it's like everyday magic right
0: totally beautiful
1: and again go on their website because you see like just scrolling through this this particular piece there's a diver that connects a rope. to a weight holding it in place. So there's divers, construction workers, all kinds of people. And they really show the step-by-steps on their website of like this particular piece.
0: I noticed on the website too, they also have ones that they're still working on or that aren't finished yet. Like the one in, I think they have one in Abu Dhabi maybe.
1: Yeah, like works in progress, the kind of thing. And then works already.
0: Yeah. And they should we talk about the one that the Cristo canceled?
1: I can't think of which one that is offhand. Oh,
0: Okay, so there was one in Colorado in the river, remember? And I read that um, that there's a lot of back and forth between Cristo and the government about the and the locals about you know getting permissions to do this project. I think it was on the Colorado River. And um, and then Trump became president. And Christo was like, I'm not doing it and he just cancelled. Just completely. After years and years of like conversation. He's just so I I don't think he's a fan.
1: <laughs> Going back to that whole uh political side. Do
2: you, do you think uh, Jean Claude would have been able
1: to I think she would have. that. I think
2: she <laughs> would have talked him down. down probably.
0: He seems like maybe just a little fiery. Um but they definitely did seem like good collaborators, right? Like she was the charismatic one that could talk to anybody. And he was the stubborn, tenacious one. And it it kind of, you kind of need both of them for these massive projects. Yeah. But I mean,
1: a nice duo for sure.
0: I don't know anything about their son. Maybe he's involved.
1: Yeah. I didn't really see much on their website or anything about him. Um, But yeah, if you go to their site, they have like a section of works in progress. Um, Then they have a section of realized projects, early works, um, temporary sculptures. So it's kind of fun to check out.
0: And that is the story of Christo and...
1: John Claude. Yay. Thank you, Christopher. Woohoo!
0: Thank you, guys. You're welcome. (laughs) And this is where we put our...
1: Jazzy music. Yeah. It's gonna be me.
2: <laughs> Are you gonna do your tagline?
0: That was our tagline.